Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your goodness and your grace, your mercy, the peace that we have because of salvation. Father, Lord, I, I thank you for uh, worship and enlightening our hearts through worship. And Father, I pray, Lord, that and trust that our hearts are ready to receive your word this morning. We thank you for truth, truth. Your word is truth. And Father, we pray for Mama, that you would be with her, bless her, uh, give her strength, renew her strength, and we just commit her, herself, her body, uh, Lord, to you. And uh, we thank you, Lord, because she has blessed our lives in so many ways. Father, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself. Everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 John, the epistle, not the epistle, 2 John, 2 John. We just completed all of 1 John, uh, 1 John, we're now in 2 John, now on part 17 of our series, Authentic, say authentic. More enthusiasm, please. Authentic. And before we dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 through 21 that we covered two weeks ago. And I gave you three points quickly here. Point number one of that text was our concern. Just say that. Our concern, verses 16 through 17. And there, John says, If anyone sees his brother, a fellow believer, commit a sin that does not lead to death, uh, he should pray, say pray, and God will give him life. He says, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. And so what he's saying this, that when we see a fellow believer engaging in some sinful activity, our first response is to what? Pray for them. Say pray for them. And pray that they will repent and, and be disentangled from their sin and be restored to fellowship with God. Now when John says pray and God will give him life, he's not referring to eternal life because believers already have eternal life, right? John's referring to all the fullness of abundant life and that God would restore the fullness of joy and peace and vitality in the believer's life and that the believer would be restored back to communion and back to fellowship with God. Then he says this, there's a sin that leads to death the fact that John is talking about a believer in context means he's not talking about eternal death, right? Rather, physical death. And you see, friends, as we covered this two weeks ago, it's possible for a believer to cross the line uh, with sin and fill an early grave. And they have in some way com compromised their testimony so significantly that they should just go home to be with God. And we know this can happen. Why? Because the Bible confirms this. And remember this, Ananias and Sapphira, they both lied and were struck dead. Believers, right? And then some believers in Corinth died because, what, they took the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And so the most extreme discipline that God can bring to a believer is physical death. The Bible states that. John then recognizes that not every sin leads to death in the manner that he speaks of in terms of speaking of physical death, though what he says, though, all wrongdoing and unrighteousness is sin. The second point was our confidence. Say that. Say our confidence. That's in verses 18 through 20 of chapter 5 of 1 John. And as believers, we no longer enjoy sin, right? We no longer enjoy sin or purposely pursue an opportunity to sin. Why? Because the new birth, say the new birth, changes all that. 
And then John says that the wicked one, Satan also implying to demons as well, cannot attach themselves to the one who is born of God. And uh, the one born of God is not under the control of the evil one, nor under the control of what John calls, the Bible calls, this world system. And then John speaks of the deity, say deity, of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ himself is God. He is a true living God. And, we, and, and he's saying this, why? Because the Gnostics, the Gnostics didn't believe in the humanity and deity of Jesus Christ. And so John's saying, they don't know, they don't know, but we know. As believers, we do, right? We know that Jesus came in the flesh fully human and that Jesus is, in fact, fully God. Good place to say amen. Third point was our challenge. Say that. Our challenge. That's in verse 21 of John chapter 5. And John says, dear children. I love that, right? Dear children. Speaks of the family, believers. It says, keep yourselves from idols. And so in context, an idol is embracing a false god. An idol is embracing a false idea of the true God. And John is simply telling us, guard yourselves from these heresies, these lies, these false teachers and their teaching. John, John, his closing words remind us to put God at the forefront of our lives, at the very center of our lives. And you see, our greatest temptation, let's be honest now, our greatest temptation will be to take our eyes off of God. And therefore, friends, we need to not allow anything or anyone to drive a wedge into our hearts and separate our affection that we have for God. This now brings us to today's text, and the title of my message today is Walk This Way. Say it. Walk This Way. Five points from the text. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is this, the salutation. Write that down. Say that. The salutation. We're going to look at verse 1 here. It says the elder. Say the elder. I want to stop there. We know who the elder is. Who's the elder? Well, it's John, right? John. Now, the word elder could speak of John's age. In fact, friends, when John wrote this epistle, he was around 90 years old, so he could be using the term elder as his advanced age. And by the way, friends, listen now, by this time, all of the other apostles were gone. They died a martyr's death, and John was the oldest of all the apostles and the only one who died a natural death. If you got it, say got it. So the term elder could be referring to John's advanced age, or, or it could also be referring to the office of elder. Now, most scholars agree that he calls himself elder both because he was advanced in age, 90 years old, and also because of the office of elder. In fact, tradition holds that John was the presiding elder or bishop of the church at Ephesus, and they honored and respected him as holding apostolic authority. So John identifies himself, right? He does. And now he identifies the recipients of his letter. Straight on. To the chosen lady and her children. I want to stop there because there are two ways that this can be interpreted, all right? One way it can be interpreted is that John is writing to a literal woman and her children in one of the churches. Another way this can be interpreted is that John is writing to one of the churches in Asia Minor. Now, it seems more likely that he's speaking of a church and not an individual Christian woman and her children. And you see, the congregation to which he's writing to, get this now, is designated metaphorically as the chosen lady and her children. So we would say it this way, the church and its members. Got it? 
In fact, the scriptures, in the scriptures, Israel and the church is designated as a what? As a woman, right? And the bride of Christ. Got it? So let's read on to, to the chosen lady and her children. In other words, the church and its members. John says this, whom I love in the truth. Say, whom I love in the truth. Say truth. John loves the people of God. Loves the people of God, okay? Because why? Because Christian love is rooted in truth. Then he says, and not I only, but all who know the truth. Say truth. In other words, John's saying, I love you. I love you. And all the believers love you as well. Amen? I love what David Guzik said. He said, this shows that what binds Christians together is not social compatibility or political compatibility or class compatibility. What binds us together is a common truth. This is why truth, I love this, is important to Christians. Verse 2, because of the, say it, truth, there it is again, which lives. In other words, when you see that word lives also can refer to abides or, or rests or remains in us and will be with us forever. I love that. You're safe, say amen. The truth not only, not only lives, this is now, abides in us, but will also be with us forever. Say with us forever. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? The truth does not change. Everyone say that. The truth does not change. Because truth comes from God, it exists forever. Amen? And abides and remains with us forever. It will be truth forever and ever. Therefore, it doesn't change tomorrow. It will never go out of existence. Now, if you're safe, say amen. God makes no mistakes in his word. Straight up, he makes no mistakes in his word. And all agnostics and atheists and detractors of the Bible, of the truth, will be gone. God's word will, listen now, march on into eternity. It's forever, amen? Isaiah 48, one of my favorite verses, right? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but only the word of God will abide, will endure, will last forever. Now listen, friends, we, we are living in a time where people say truth is whatever you believe it is. Right? It's all relative. And others say, you know, there's no such thing as absolute truth. And if you haven't noticed, there is open rebellion against truth. There is open rebellion against God's word. And i got to tell you, lines are being re re redrawn, terms are being redefined, and we are living in a day and age where truth has been displaced by relevance and personal preference. You see, our culture, friends, conveniently denies absolute truth, and I'll tell you why, to justify their own immoral behavior. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Now, say truth. Truth. In the Bible... The gospel message is spoken as the word of truth. As Christians, we are referred to as those who belong to the truth. God the Father's word is truth. God the Son, Jesus Christ himself, declared himself to be the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. God the Holy Spirit is spoken of the spirit of truth who will guide us into all truth. Amen? 
Listen, because the truth of God lives and abides and rests in us and with us forever means we must reject the moral relativism of today's culture. we got to stand with truth. Amen? we got to stand with truth. Verse 3. Grace, love this, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. I want to stop there. Grace, mercy, and peace. Everyone say that. Grace, mercy, and peace. It's a threefold greeting and blessing, right? Threefold greeting and blessing. And grace, say grace, grace points to God's undeserved, unmerited favor towards us. We would say grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy, say mercy. Mercy points to God's compassion, say compassion, towards us in our misery that is due to our sin. And mercy would be this. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. You guys with me? Peace, say peace. Peace points to the result of salvation. The result of salvation both to the peace of God in our hearts and to the peace that we enjoy with God because of the cross of Christ. Amen? When you and I receive grace and mercy from God, we receive his peace. So we have the peace of God, and now we have peace with God. Amen? Let me put it this way. Grace and mercy is the fountain, and peace is the stream. Say it again. Grace and mercy is the fountain, and peace is the stream. Let's read the text again. Grace, mercy, and peace is from who? Who? God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son. Now, now why, question, why did John join the Father and the Son together? Why? I'll tell you why. Because to affirm the deity of Jesus Christ. And what John is doing, John is emphasizing their equal nature. Remember what John said back in 1 John chapter 2, verse 23? Some of you guys might remember this. He says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son, acknowledges his sinless humanity, his eternal deity, his equality with the Father, has the Father also. So to deny the deity of Jesus Christ is to deny the Father also, right? I mean, you cannot have the Father unless you have the Son. And you cannot have, you cannot claim, excuse me, to know the Father without knowing the Son. It's a package deal. Say that. It's a package deal. Back in John chapter 10, verse 30, write that down. Jesus said, I and, I, excuse me, I and the Father are one. Got it? You see, the Christian faith stands or falls on the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. So grace, mercy, and peace is the blessing that we can find only in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Good place to say amen. Amen? Let's finish the rest of the verse. Grace, mercy, and peace is from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth in love. In truth and love. You see, we can never really have grace, mercy, and peace apart from the truth and love of God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. Can't. Say truth and love. Come on, more enthusiasm. Truth and love. The Christian walk, get this now, believers, rests on truth, and is demonstrated in love. Truth makes love discerning, so love never undermines truth. You guys got that? Love never undermines truth. Now I'm going to prove it to you, 1 John 3.18. 1 
1 John 3.18, Dear children, let us not love, not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 1 Peter 1.22, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. Ephesians 4.15, we know this, right? Speak the truth in love. You see, the Word of God, what it does, it binds both truth and love inseparably together. You cannot separate truth and love. You cannot separate them. Truth and love are friends, not enemies. Amen? And by the way, today's culture, if you haven't noticed by now, today's culture is all about love, 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 let love. Just love. Right? But they deny truth. They're all about love, but deny truth. They say it doesn't matter what you believe or how you live as long as you're sincere and loving. Well, the truth of God, the truth of God's word says it does matter what you believe and it does matter how you live, right? God always, say always, predicates biblical love on truth. Biblical love tells the truth. Listen, friends, we love people best by standing for the truth. Amen? God in his word always conditions love by the truth. Truth always, get this now, always governs the exercise of love. Sad truth is, is that there are many Christians today, many evangelical churches that, listen now, sacrifice truth for the sake of keeping the peace or for the sake of loving or for the sake of being politically correct. You can't separate truth and love. Right? Number two, commendation. Say that. The commendation. Write that down. The salutation, the commendation. Look at verse 4 with me. If you're still with me, say amen. It has given me great joy. I love this verse. Great joy to find some of your children, some of the believers, walking in the truth, just as a father commanded us. You know what we have here? We have a pastor's heart. We have a pastor's heart. It brought great joy to John's heart that they were those who were walking in the truth. And I got to tell you, as your pastor, I rejoice, man. I rejoice. I am so filled with joy when I see those of you here at Cry Out walking in the truth. I see your lives and I can see the truth of God just exuding out of your life. I'm like, right on. I get excited about that. I rejoice in that. It brings great joy. So here's the lesson. You ready? Walk in truth. Practical but profound. Walk in the truth. Walking in the truth is a biblical phrase which simply means walking in the ways of God. Walking in the ways of God. It conveys the idea of a believer who confesses the truth of God's word and who lives in harmony with his word. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Come on, we know the truth, right? We know the truth. We believe the truth. We study the truth. We read the truth. We speak the truth. We think on the truth. We desire the truth. We hear the truth. We obey the truth. We walk in the truth. We conduct our lives in the realm of truth. Right? God's truth. Listen, believers. God's truth, his word, determines how we think, how we speak, how we act. Authentic believers walk 
in the truth. We are walking in the ways of truth. Amen? The point, the point is that knowing the truth always goes with doing the truth. In James 1.22, right? James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You see, walking in the truth shows, excuse me, walking in the truth should always, always characterize our daily walk. Now, I want to tell you, friends, listen now, it's, it's, it's good that we believe the truth, read the truth, study the truth, speak about the truth, but it really means nothing. We're not walking. We're not living. We're not practicing or obeying the truth. It's got to be more than orthodoxy. It's got to be orthopraxy. Amen? One where we said this, truth is not something we simply study or believe. It is a motivating force in our lives. The question, question. Do you, do you receive truth in your heart, in your heart, as a guest or as a permanent resident? And the truth of God should be a permanent resident within our hearts. Not a guest, but a permanent resident. Amen? Now, you might, you might have noticed that in the last four verses, John uses the word truth five times. Say truth. Why? Because he's writing in the realm of truth. Okay, he, he heard the truth. John, John knows the truth. I mean, he walked with the truth. Jesus. Right? He lives in the truth. In every sense, what it, he's controlled. John's controlled, and I love this. He's motivated by the truth. And this is why he wrote this short letter. Why? To call us, to call us to walk, abide, live, remain in that same truth. Amen? I also want to point out, look at the text again. He says, it has given me great joy to find some of your, some, say some, of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. This is, in, this is indicating that some were not. Some were not walking in the truth. And you see, friends, by the very mention John is showing, the very mention John is showing, by that very mention John is showing us that we need to be burdened for our fellow believers to walk in the truth. And so we, listen now, need to be encouraging and praying, encouraging and praying for one another to walk in the truth. To, to be accountable to one another to walk in the truth. Okay, why? Because we're family. We're familia here. We're family, amen? Therefore, we care that we all walk in the truth. I want you to walk in the truth. You should want me to walk in the truth. Why? Because we're familia. We're family. Keep each other accountable to walk in the ways of God. And this is why it's so important for us to examine ourselves and to be sure that what we say and do matches the truth. Truth, say truth, should shape our attitudes. Truth should shape our behavior, right? It should shape our total conduct. What we believe determines how we behave. Say salutation. Commendation. Number three is the exhortation. Write that down, the exhortation. When we look at verse five. Write that down, verse five. If you're still with me, say Amen. And now, dear lady, that's a beautiful, beautiful way to speak to the church. Right? As a dear and precious bride in the sight of God. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we've, we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. So this was nothing new, right? We covered this in 1 John, right? 
nothing new to the believers. They already heard this plenty of times. It's a repeated theme in John's first epistle. So why did John repeat it? Because I'll tell you why. Because it's important. It's important, right? It's a reminder. He, he's emphasizing it. Now, in context, because context is important, right? Say context. In context, when he says loving one another, he's speaking about believers loving one another. Got it? Now, are we supposed to love unbelievers? Of course. Of course. And we can be loving without approving or affirming their, the way they live or their lifestyle. Right? We can be compassionate without compromising God's word. Can I get an amen? In context, this is, though, this is speaking about loving our fellow believers. Verse 6, and this is love. Say, this is love. Well, what is it? Here we go. That we walk in obedience to his, speaking of God's commands, as you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Say, walk in love. Okay, now I want to say this. One of the ways that we demonstrate love for God is to obey God. It's all about obedience, right? When we obey what God commands, we show that we love him, right? And we show that we love and walk in the way that we love fellow believers. We're walking in love. Now I want you to notice that love is commanded, right? It's commanded. So that in and of itself shows that Christian love, authentic love, cannot be reduced to just feeling or emotion. It's more than that. It's a comprehensive Love. It, it's an act of the will. It's an act of obedience, right? It's an obedient response to God's self-revelation in Jesus Christ. And Jesus has shown us what love looks like through the Word of God, right? And we are to, re, listen, respond obediently and put that love that we see in Jesus into practice. And it's unselfish service of our fellow believers by deliberate choice. It's a choice, an act of the will. Okay, follow me. It's deliberately seeking the best interests of other believers and personally ministering to them out of care and concern, even at our own cost. Listen, friends, it's a costly service of one another, a real tangible care and concern and love for one another. We are to walk in love. We are to love one another. The bottom line is this. Authentic love will walk this way. It will walk in love. You see, the distinguishing mark, the, the, the reality, confirmation that we are in Christ is our love for one another. Amen? And the world needs to see that we love one another. We don't have to agree all the time. Amen? We don't got to like each other, but we must love one another. So here's a lesson. Ready? Here's a lesson. Walk in obedience to God's commands. Obedience is key. Walk in obedience to God's commands. If you're saved, say amen. Listen, now, if we're walking in love, if we're walking in love, then we're walking in accordance to God's word, right? If we're walking in accordance to God's word, we're walking in love. God's word and love belong together. Got it? Number four, are you ready? Number four, here we go. The caution, say that. Salutation, the commendation, the exhortation. Number four is the caution. And here what you're going to see as we unfold the, the text here, John defines deceivers, and he calls believers to be watchful, to watchfulness. Notice the caution slash the warning against deceivers. Look at verse 7. Many deceivers, many, <laughs> guys got that? Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Now, now listen, just as Jesus 
has sent us out into the world, right? Into the world to share the truth, to share the gospel. These false teachers have gone out as well. Got it? Okay. But they're sent not by Jesus, but by the enemy. Then he says this, any such person is a deceiver and the who? Anti-Christ. Right? So, so these deceivers, these deceivers call into question the reality of Jesus by denying the fullness of the truth of the incarnation. They call into question the truth about his full humanity. Now let's go back. Let's go back. You can write it down to 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. And I'll read it to you. And John writes, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. And he says this, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You guys got that? But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming even now, is already in the world. So those who, right, he's saying this, those who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh are deceivers, and they have the spirit of the who? Antichrist. Now we know that this spirit of Antichrist will one day, right, find its ultimate fulfillment in the, the Antichrist, who will be a political leader and lead humanity in an end times rebellion against God. Right? We know that, right? So he says, watch out for these people in the spirit of the Antichrist. Also notice the caution, the warning against receiving a half reward. Look at verse 8. Watch out that you, Christians, do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. This is talking about, look at this is talking about rewards, not salvation, okay? You guys got it? And John's like, hey, John's like, hey, run the race with perseverance. John's like, hey, man, there, there's this full reward. Right? There's this full reward that is to be received for all of eternity. Don't lose heart. He's saying, finish the race, man. Finish in faith. Okay? Don't, don't, don't let false teachers threaten your spiritual progress. Amen? You keep going. You keep going. You keep going. Notice the caution, the warning against those who reject the deity of Jesus Christ. Verses 9 through 11. Stay with me now. Anyone who runs ahead. In other words, anyone who goes beyond the limits of true doctrine. Anybody who goes beyond the limits of true doctrine. Because you know, and we know this, right? We've been studying this for a, a long time now. The false teachers consider themselves advanced thinkers. Right? Okay? Progressing beyond the teachings of God's words. They were adding to the Word of God. They were adding to it. So anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ, does not have who? God, okay? They, to deny the biblical Jesus is always to reject both the Father and the Son. Then he says this, whoever continues, in other words, abides in the teaching, in other words, the person who abides in the true doctrine of Jesus Christ has both the Father and the, come on, say, and the Son, amen? Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, in other words, the teaching of the truth, teaching about Jesus Christ. Do not take him into your house or welcome him. Now in context, say context, because context is important, right? This is a house church. Say house church. Okay, they're meeting in a home. Why? Because listen, the first century Christians didn't meet in buildings. 
They were under persecution. So they met in homes to be secret safe, right? They met in homes. So John's point is, don't let any false teacher, these traveling false ministers and evangelists, don't let anyone who does not bring the true teaching of God's word be allowed to teach in the church, in your home. And what John is simply saying, he's simply saying this. Preserve the integrity of the doctrine of who Jesus is. Got it? Amen. Verse 11. Anyone who welcomes him, these false teachers, shares in his wicked work. Wow. Huh? John's saying, John's saying that we must do nothing that would in any way support or encourage the teaching of that which is not true. And to do so, to invite that, is to aid them in their work. It's to encourage their efforts and to partner and approve of their false teaching. Whew. So you ready for the lesson? Protect the truth. Say that. Protect the truth. Got it, church? Know the truth, right? Stand up for the truth. Defend the truth. Fight the truth. Don't apologize for speaking the truth. Speak in love, but don't apologize for speaking the truth. Protect the truth. And I want to tell you something. As your pastor, I am very, very careful who preaches on this pulpit. Amen? And those who come and preach up here, we vet them. And make sure they teach sound doctrine. Amen? Because we want to protect the truth. Amen? Number five, we're almost done here, is the communication. Say that. Salutation, commendation, the exhortation, the caution, communication. Verse 12. You guys still with me? Okay, verse 12. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I love this. I love this. I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face. Do you get that? Face to face. So that our joy may be what? Complete. I really love what John says here. I love it. Talk with you face to face. He sees a priority of in-person communication. I mean, it's, it's there that we, it's there that the fulfillment or the fullness of joy is experienced. So you ready for the lesson? Face to face is always best. It is. Face to face is always best. It always is. Not texts, not emails, not Facebook, not even FaceTime, but in person, face to face. Something that we don't do a whole lot anymore. Right? Listen, a letter, a text, or email, or, or FaceTime, or Facebook is no substitute for personal fellowship. And you see, friends, John knows that fulfilled joy in the Christian life is connected not only to communion with God, but also to Christian fellowship. You've heard me say this many times. You can worship by yourself, but you cannot fellowship by yourself. Right? I mean, you can worship all you want by yourself, but you cannot fellowship by yourself. Now, I was with the mom, uh, partially in the hospital, and then the rest of the two weeks, uh, in the rehab center with her there every day, about 10 to 12 hours a day with her. And uh, we had two Sundays to sit and listen online. 
And uh, we sat there and we, we listened to it. We were worshiping and we enjoyed the, the worship. We enjoyed the preaching and uh, we just loved it. But we both agreed it's not the same. It's not the same. And I was sitting there with Mama and Mama with me. But we said it's not the same. There's something wonderful and dynamic, right, when you come together and worship together and sing together and pray together and love one another, right? There's no substitute for that. And so I'm saying, you know, hey, don't stay home. Come and be part of the body of Christ. Amen? It's time to come back. Amen? And John's saying, hey, it's all about face-to-face. And I tell you, when I walked in this morning, man, it was so good to see you all. Amen? Verse 13, we're almost done here. The children of your chosen sister send their greetings. John, what he does, he closes by bringing greetings from one Christian community to another. Got it? And by the way, this is the only place where this kind of description is used in the New Testament. Two sister churches are sharing intimate family greetings. Listen now, which is a reminder of Christian unity. Got it? So let's just wrap this up. Say, walk this way. Come on, say, say it with more enthusiasm. Oh, what, what way? What way? Oh, walk in truth. Walk in truth. Walk in love. Walk in the ways of God. Amen? Let's all stand. Amen?